It just so happens that the last verse ended with Isaiah, and we're studying Isaiah, aren't we? Some lessons from Isaiah. So as we go on this morning to see what the Word of God will teach us based out of Isaiah, though we will be in other scriptures, let's start out for a minute in Isaiah chapter 1. The prophet of Isaiah in chapter 1. Book of Isaiah, please, in uh, chapter 1. When God sent his prophet to his nation of Israel, southern Israel, Judah, they weren't in very good shape. You'll see this in verse 2, Isaiah 1 and verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they rebelled against me. So a people in rebellion against their God. goes on to say in verse 4 of Isaiah 1, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Look at verse 6. From the sole of the foot, even under the head, there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. And so to speak, from head to foot, they were full of sin. And their thinking and their walk, they'd rebelled against God, a backslidden nation. Now throughout this book of Isaiah, at times there will be promises of judgment and chastisement to wake them up and to hopefully bring them back. But as well as talking about judgment and and salvation that they need and things like that, I'd like to take you now to Isaiah 55. There is also a message of good news for them. Chapter 55 of Isaiah. Tremendous promise is is held out to this sinful nation and anyone who wants it. And that will bring us to Isaiah 55, our main text for this morning. Isaiah 55. And uh, this is gospel. This is good news. You'll see why in a minute. Verse 1 of Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money. Come ye buy and eat, and yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me. And eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. An invitation to those that are thirsty, and though they have no money, they can come and receive something from God. Now that's something that's talked about in verse 3. Verse 3 of Isaiah 55. Incline your ear, and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David." Then down to verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. A God who is holding out forgiveness and pardon to a people deserving judgment. 
But a promise that is made to everyone that is thirsty, really a universal promise, is the greatest promise that can be made in all the world. We might not think it is, but I hope after we study this, we might see that it is. Looking again at verse 3, Isaiah 55 and verse 3. Incline your ear and come unto me, here in your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. God promised that he will make with anyone that comes and is thirsty. Something he did with King David called the sure mercies of David. We think we need big promises. We need peace on earth. We need better finances. We need better health. I understand. But this is a bigger promise that God is offering to make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. You know, when it comes to this term, the sure mercies of David, the word sure means absolutely, positively guaranteed. All right? Sure, it's abs you're not going to have to guess at it. Mercies mean I withhold the judgment that you righteously deserve. You deserve to be punished, I'll show mercy and I'll not judge. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Everlasting means it won't be for four years, won't be for ten years, it'll be forever. Promises are getting big, isn't it? It's called a covenant. You know what a covenant is? It's a legal, it's, they're legal promises. In other words, they're binding, like a contract. They're legal promises. You know, sometimes before you get married, a guy will take a girl out for dinner, and he'll end up saying, I love you, and I want to take you out for dinner next week. Well, he made her a promise, okay? He calls up next week and says, I had to work overtime. Will you give me a rain check? It was a promise, but there was nothing legal about it. But when they stand before the marriage altar, as they say, and they make promises to each other. That's called a covenant. It's legal, it's binding. Whether they don't like uh, the way the meat tasted the next day, they're in it for life, right? A legal binding covenant. You say, well, I thought God was a God of love, and you're talking about legality. Thank God he's a legal God and he's a God of love. Is there something where legality and love is combined? How about marriage again? They love each other, yet they're pledging themselves to each other forever. And it's binding. They just can't walk out the next day. And God is making a covenant, something that's legal and binding that he'll never back out on. It's everlasting. It's sure. It's absolutely guaranteed. And it's called the sure mercies of David, that he will withhold judgment. Do anyone that's thirsty? The greatest promise a sinner could ever hear is being offered an everlasting covenant from God, the sure mercies of David. Now, having said that, what are the sure mercies of David? That brings us to our Bible study this morning. We're going to do a little progressive study. We're going to start somewhere and just keep going through the Bible right to the end to see how the Bible explains the sure mercies of David. So let's begin our little progressive Bible study. If you have your Bible, you can turn to it. If you don't, you can listen and go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, David was one of Israel's king. The king before David was King Saul. King Saul disobeyed God, and God eventually took his kingdom away and promised that he would not have a dynasty. Usually kings, your sons become kings, their sons become kings. It's kind of a royal family, you know. But he told Saul that wasn't going to happen. And after Saul died, his sons died within two years, or they, their kingdom was taken away within two years. And the next king God chose was not one of Saul's sons. 
He went to a completely different family, of the family of Jesse, David's father, and he chose David. So that Saul did not have a royal family because of his disobedience. Now God appears to David, his king, at this time, and begins to make him a promise. And that's why we're in 2 Samuel 7, where these sure mercies will begin. David wanted to build God a house, a big temple, and God said, I never asked you to do that, but I'm going to do something for you. And that something is in verse 11. You look at chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, and verse 11, please. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. Earlier, God says, I didn't ask you to make me a house. Someday your son will make it, but, but, but I, I, I'm going to make you a house. You might say, what did David need a house for? You know, he lives in a palace. He's not talking about a physical house, a royal dynasty, a household, as you'll see in a minute. That you'll be the royal family of God forever. It'll be from your seed, from your body, that will have the royal right to the throne of God, to rule for God. He goes on to say that. Look, look here at verse 12. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, and when thy days be fulfilled, and when thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed, or offspring, children, after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. You'll die, but the next king will not be somebody that gets elected by popular vote. He'll have to be your relation, your bloodline, your seed. You, you, seed. Uh, you have an everlasting dynasty, and I will establish his kingdom. Look at verse 13. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Not four years, not eight years, forever. That David's line will rule forever for God. What a promise. goes on to say in verse 14, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. Your sons make mistakes. There's going to be issues in their life. I'm going to chasten them. I'm going to discipline them as a father would to a son. But David, there's something I'll never do. In spite of their failure, in spite of my discipline, there's something I'll never do. That's verse 15. Verse 15. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. I'll not take my mercy from him. Though he might deserve to be cut off, though your kingdom might deserve to come to an end, and I find a better king in a different country, I'll never do what I did to Saul. I shut down his whole bloodline, his dynasty. David, I'll never do that to you. My mercy will never depart. I'll never give the judgment that's really due, even though I have to chasten him, because it's an everlasting throne. And that is the promise he made to King David, as we see in verse 17. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. God has just made a covenant with David. It's called that elsewhere. A formal pledge of promises that he would have an everlasting throne, an everlasting dynasty. And in spite of failure, God will never withdraw the promise and take his mercy from him. We learn something about God here. Judges 2.1 puts it this way. I will never break my covenant with you. People break covenants today in marriage covenants and contracts and everything else. Not your God. When he makes a promise, he will never, never go back on it. I will never break my covenant with you. He's a faithful, 
covenant-keeping God. And this is the type of promise he made to David and his offspring, his seed, uh, the sure mercies of David. You will rule forever. I'll never take my mercy from you. Well, time goes on, and David himself sins and fails. Let's progress in our study to chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. David was to have a son that was by the name of Solomon that would indeed build the temple of God, but Solomon wasn't born yet when, when you get to 2 Samuel chapter 12. In fact, David had committed adultery with another man's wife, but the wife's name was Bathsheba. And to cover up his adultery when she got pregnant, he arranged the murder of Uriah. He was guilty of plotting murder and adultery. And he was exposed here in 2 Samuel 12. You talk about deep sins. So we're going to break in here as he is exposed here. And the prophet says to David in verse 9, 2 Samuel 12 and verse 9, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah uh, the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. <laughs> Murder and adultery. Verse 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. You're going to have continual disasters and wars. There's going to be discipline for this. But he goes on to say, Thus saith the Lord, verse 11, Because, uh, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thy, uh, thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son, for thou didst it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. Now David says something in verse 13. He doesn't explain it away. He doesn't deny it. Verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He confessed and admitted his sin. Now according to the law that David lived under, the Mosaic law from God, you know what should have happened to David? L listen to Deuteronomy 22.22. If a man be found lying with a woman that is married to another, then both of them shall die. Both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shalt thou put away evil from Israel. Adultery under the Jewish law was a sin of capital punishment to put out evil among God's people. David was a dead man. He had committed a sin that deserved, as we would say today, the electric chair or the gas chamber, according to the law. But once he confessed his sin, God had made him a promise. Huh. I'll not take my mercy away from you. There'll be chastisement, discipline, but I'll never withdraw my mercy. How faithful is God to that promise? Can adultery break it? And murder cover up? Can it break the promises of God? Huh. Look at the, look, I'm going to reread here uh, verse 13. I'm going to read it all. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. I will never break my covenant with you. The sure mercies of David, it's everlasting. <laughs> that though you fail, yes, there will be discipline. It goes on to show some of that earthly discipline. But you're not going to be cut off from me. Thou shalt not die. David is preserved under this everlasting promise of the sure mercies of David. You have a God who always works in the framework of his covenant. You understand his promise and his covenant. He'll never step outside him for a shortcut. He always acts inside 
of what he promised. So David is preserved to have the child eventually that will build that temple. That child's name was Solomon, wasn't it? And Solomon turned out to be a very wise king and built the temple and got off to a great start seeking the wisdom of God. But in his later years, his heart turned from God. David's seed. He sat upon the throne, did a great job in the beginning, was a disaster in the end. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 11 to see the commentary on Solomon, David's seed. The king of Israel at that point. Yeah. Go to 1 Kings, please. And Chapter 11 in our progressive study here of the sure mercies of David. 1 Kings chapter 11, and uh, looking at verse 1. 1 Kings 11 and verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord had said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Went to the other nations, found all the beautiful women he could, 700 wives, 300 concubines, and eventually they said, Honey, would you come to my church too? I know you have yours. But I have my way of worshiping. And he eventually, in the end, did go to their religion. And he not only built the house of God, the temple of God, in his older years, he would build shrines all over Israel, temple shrines for the false gods of the nations, so his wives would have a little personal church to go to. And it goes on to say that here. It's idolatry. Look at verse 4. And it came to pass when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. goes on to tell about all the temple shrines that he built and so on. Look at the Lord's reaction to this man that he had blessed. Look, look at verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. He was guilty of idolatry. He said there's more than one God, and honored these all their pagan false gods, not the true creator of heaven and earth, to appease his wives. And God was angry with him, so God says this in verse 11. 1 Kings 11 and verse 11. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. Solomon, I'm going to take this whole kingdom from you, and not give it to your son. Give it to your servant, who's not of the line of David, just a servant. Uh-oh. What has happened to the sure mercies of David that I'll never take my mercy away from you? Your seed will endure forever. Well, as soon as God said that, he gives qualifications what he means by that. Uh, yet, yes, it's going to be given to your servant. However, verse 12, verse 12, Notwithstanding, in thy days I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit, I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake, 
and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. There were 12 tribes in Israel. And I'm going to leave you one. Counting the king's tribe, that would make a total of two. And I'm going to take it away, but I won't take it all. And that's how Israel became divided into the north and the south. Your servant will be king over ten tribes, then known, will, would then be known as Israel, and the southern area would be known as Judah with the capital of Jerusalem. God, why don't you take the whole thing away for David's sake? I made a promise. And I can't bring this kingdom to an end, though you deserve it here. Idolatry, murder plotting, idolatry, and living for pleasure. And he says, I'm going to have to leave it in the hand of your, the, the majority will be taken away. For David's sake, I can't do it. And so the kingdom, the seat of David, will still rule on the throne out of the capital city of Jerusalem. I will never break my covenant with you. Starting to sound attractive, the sure mercies of David, <laughs> an everlasting covenant that God will make with whoever thirsts and comes to him. Well, as time goes on, David has sons, Solomon has sons. The kingdom goes on. Some are good kings, some are bad kings. Let me take you to a bad king and progress to 2 Chronicles chapter 21. Book of 2 Chronicles chapter 21, please. And this is the kingly line of David ruling out of Jerusalem, southern Israel, and which God left there as a testimony to his promise. 2 Chronicles 21 and verse 1. 21.1, now Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Jehoram his son reigned in his stead. You came to kingship not by because you were good, but because you were the son. As royal families work that way. Look at verse 2, and he had brethren, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azariah, Michal, Zephathiah, and all these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. So Jehoram comes to the throne, he looks around at his brother, and he says, you know, they might take it from me. And not trusting God, he does this. Verse 3. And their father gave them great gifts of silver, and of gold, and of precious things, with fenced cities in Judah. But the kingdom gave he to Jehoram, because he was the firstborn. The other sons, when you're king, you get a, you get a city as a birthday present. <laughs> but Jehoram got the kingdom. He was the firstborn. So by bloodline, he becomes king. Verse 4. Now when Jehoram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and slew all his brethren with the sword, and divers also to princes of Israel. He starts to slaughter the royal family, anyone else that had royal blood, so his power would be protected. Verse 5, Jehoram was 32 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. Why would God leave a man like that on a throne for eight years? Huh? Well, verse 6, And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab, for he had the daughter of Ahab to wife. And he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He leaves this man on the throne so he can have some children, so the seed of David will continue. Look at his reason, why God didn't destroy him instantly. Verse 7, Howbeit, the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, as he promised to give a light to him, and to his sons forever. I will never break my covenant. It's legal. It's binding. You know, the kids were singing up here earlier. I knew what they meant. We were singing too. My God is so big. My God is so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. I know what they mean by that. But there is something your God can't do. 
What do you think it is? It is impossible for God to lie. Hebrews 6.18. He'll, he'll never break his word. And so in his dealings with mankind, he, he will preserve the life of Ahaziah, Jehoram, for a while because he can't break his promise to David. That God works in the framework of that legal covenant, an everlasting covenant, the sure mercies of David. And he's preserved or he has children. You know, Israel's songbook, and we're skipping some other examples, but Israel's songbook is known as the book of Psalms. And one of those book of Psalms talks about the mercy of God. And let, let's go to it. Israel's songbook, the book of Psalms, some of them written by David, but go to Psalm 89, please, the 89th Psalm. It's about the mercies and faithfulness of God here as you get to Psalm 89. One of the songs they would sing, and we still sing it today, by the way. Some of you, verse 1 has been put to music. I'm not going to do it for you, but some of you can do it. You look at Psalm 89 and verse 1. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. The mercies of the Lord. How do we understand those? Look where he heads with it. Look at verse 2. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness thou shalt establish in the very heavens. Here it comes in verse 3. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever. And build up thy throne to all generations. Selah, or think about it. Verse 5, and the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. You don't want to understand my mercies? Look at what I said to David. Look at that covenant I made to him. goes on to say, and look at verse 8. Verse 8, O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee? Isn't it nice to have somebody faithful in a day of broken promises? God is faithful. And it goes down further, if you look at it, in Psalm 89 and uh, verse 27. 89, 27. 89, 27. Also I will make him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever. And his throne is the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then I will visit their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Verse 33. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn on my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne is the sun before me. And so the faithfulness of God, you can test it in God's track record with those sure mercies of David, the legal covenant of promise he made with David. Adultery, idolatry, uh, assassination, uh, purging the royal house, and the promise keeps going. In fact, if you go to the prophet Jeremiah, Go to Jeremiah 33. As you get to Jeremiah 33, Israel is starting to lose their land. They didn't repent of their idolatry. God's going to take them out of their land and take them back to slavery for 70 years as a, as a discipline. 
and Jeremiah, they're going to end up down in uh, Egypt and Babylon and other places. And Jeremiah lives in a day when they're going to lose their temple. Solomon's temple is going to be destroyed. They're going to lose the land of Israel for 70 years because of their sin that they won't repent of. But Jeremiah, in preaching all those negative things that he had to preach, says, however, you have a God. This is not going to be permanent. He remembers his promise. You're, and, and he goes on to encourage him in a future day, you can still trust this God. So look at the way he does it here. In Jeremiah chapter 33, and go down to verse 15. Go down to verse 15. Jeremiah 33, verse 15. In those days and at that time I will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. Just like a family tree, there's somebody coming out of David. He's going to bring social justice to the world and to the land. Verse 16, In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith the Lord shall be called, or she shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. For thus saith the Lord, David shall never want a man to set up on the throne of the house of Israel. <laughs> He's never going to lack a man. While the throne of Israel came to an end, and the Gentiles, like Nebuchadnezzar and the Caesars, rule over Israel. There was no Israeli king. The seed of David never stopped down through time. God preserved that royal family till a coming day. They'll never lack a man to set up on the throne. Watch how sure it is. Look at verse 19. Verse 19. And the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, If ye can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night, that there should be no more day and night in their seasons. Then also may my covenant be broken with David, my servant, that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne with, with me, the Levites, the priests, as the ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea be measured, so I will, multi will I multiply the seed of David, my servant, and the Levites that minister unto me. You know how sure my promise is? If you can change the laws of outer space. If you can change the 24-hour day, which our sun rotates once a day, excuse me, our earth rotates once a day on its axis in a 24-hour time period at 800 miles per hour, if you happen to live in the center of the world, rotating, orbiting at the same time around the sun once a year in 365 days at 66,000 miles an hour. And we can have all kind of technological advances and, and discover some of these things. We can't change day and night. We can't change seasons. We can't change the laws of outer space. They're untouchable because they're designed by God. And if you could, then he says, I'll break my covenant with David. It is sure as the sunrise in the morning, the moon at night, that you're going to see every day. That's how sure God's promises to David is. So he holds this out to a backslidden nation. Don't forget your God. Even though it looks dark now, there's better days ahead because of his promise to David. You know, Israel did lose that land. And hundreds of years went by. And God sent no prophet to Israel. After Mike Malachi, about 400 years, and God isn't even speaking to Israel because they, they don't want to hear. And so you have the time now. We've had adultery, idolatry. We've had murder, murder plotting. We've had assassination. We, we've had these different things here. And now we have time. Has God forgotten? Israel doesn't have a king, but the seed of David is being preserved. I'd like to take you in our progressive study now into the New Testament about 2,000 years ago. And go to Luke chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke chapter 1. 
that a nation that looked like it had been forgotten because of their sin, yet one day as you go to Luke chapter 1, a virgin girl by the name of Mary has an angelic visitor, the angel Gabriel himself who had appeared to Daniel in the Old Testament. And he appears to this young Jewish virgin girl in verse 26 of Luke 1. Luke 1 and verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Goes on to say to her, look at verse 31. Verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Jesus Christ is the answer to the promise to David. He's going to rule forever. And he's legally of the seed of David. You, you know how your New Testament starts out? Starts out with a genealogy. You say, you know, well, why a genealogy? The generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. If he's not legal, don't follow him. He has to be God's king if you're going to follow him. And he is. He's the son of David. And God's going to give him that kingdom and throne forever. The seed of David has been preserved. And in the everlasting son of God, his right to rule will be forever. Time causes God not to forget his promise. Sometimes we forget promises with time. Hundreds of years have gone by, but one day it's announced, Jesus is born, the seed of David. He'll rule over the house of David forever. You say, well, as glorious as that is, don't you understand the rest of the story? They didn't put a golden crown on his head. They put a crown of thorns. They mocked him and bowed the knee. They put a purple robe on him, purple robe on him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they took it off him and crucified him. He didn't set up. He's not on the throne on earth today. He's not uh, uh, ruling the world or Israel. You say, well, that's a wonderful, but he's dead. But he's dead. But as the hymn writer put it, and so there he died, a king crucified to save a poor sinner like you and like me. Died to purge our sins, take care of the sin question. He died, but, but there's no, he's, not, he's not ruling. There's still wars on earth. And What about that, God? Let's progress to Acts chapter 13. He's dead. As the Gospels will record, will death break the promise of God, this great terminator of death? He died and was buried. But we get to Acts 13, and God's chosen apostle Paul is uh, preaching in a little Antiochian synagogue, the Gospel. And we're going to break in on part of his message here. And we'll look here at uh, verse 22, Acts 13 and verse 22. And when he had removed him, that is King Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which will fulfill all my will. Well, that's history. David's line replaced Saul. Verse 23. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. 
And, and so out of David's seed, Jesus came. He's the legal king. But Paul has to admit something. They did, cruci they did crucify him. He was condemned. He wasn't crowned. He was condemned. And Paul doesn't run from that. So you look here at verse 27, or verse 27. Chapter 13, verse 27. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written from him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. No golden crown. The king is crucified. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, over that cross of execution. And so there he died, a king crucified, and they buried him. Will death stop the promise of God? Look at the next verse. Verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. Death doesn't stop it. And he goes on to say in verse 31, And he was seen many days of them which came up from Galilee to Jerusalem, who bore his witness, who are his witnesses unto the people. Verse 32, it's going to sound like Isaiah. And we declare unto you glad tidings, the gospel, good news, how the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, and that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it also said, written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Resurrection, God keeps his promise. He died, but the promise isn't broken because God raised him up. He terminated death. And then look at the next verse, verse 34, Acts 13, 34. As concerning that he raised them up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. God gave him the Christ. You died, but you're going to rise again. And I will give you the sure mercies of David. Resurrection keeps the promise of David going. His seed is now alive forevermore because he's the son of God as well as the son of man. Nothing can stop the promises of God. I will never break my covenant with you. An everlasting covenant, even the sure mercies of God. So then Paul turns to his audience based on the death of the Lord Jesus and his resurrection as Lord and King, coming King, he, he turns to his audience and look what he says in verse 38. Verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. You can have them too. Forgiveness of sins, whatever you've done, and you'll be justified righteous from all things, which the law of Moses can't do. All your good works and religion will never do it. But Jesus Christ will do it because he died for your sins, suffered for you. He's risen as Lord of all. And through him, you can have, I will give you, the sure mercies of David. The, the king of David is alive, and he's Savior and he's king. And all who come to him, he will abundantly pardon and give you absolutely, positively, not what you deserve, hell forever and separation from God and conscious torment. He'll give you everlasting life because you deserve it. No, he's a God of mercy, and somebody died for your sins. You know, when Paul wants to explain this gospel so we understand it, that it's not by works, but it's by his grace through what Christ did on the cross, when he wants us to understand it, look how he does it if you'll progress to Romans 4. 
Romans chapter 4, please. Our progressive study, you go to Romans 4. Look at verse 5. Amazing verse, verse 5. Romans 4 and verse 5. 4, 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Not to the one who works and says, I did this, I didn't do this, I'm better than this person. No. Takes their place as an ungodly sinner. And believes on him that justifies the ungodly. God will take that act of faith and say, you're righteous without works. How do we understand that? Guess who he will appeal to to help you understand? Look at verse 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom the Lord imputeth righteousness without works. What did David know about righteousness without works? He was a dead man with his adultery. He sinned greatly against God. Thou shalt not die. He did no works. It was the promise and mercy of God that saved him that day based on what God would know that Jesus Christ would do on the cross and shed his blood for our sins. Look at the next verse, what David said. Verse 7, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That is, impute sin means keep the sin on the record book so God can see it as a violation. He'll erase it. Does David know anything about that? was without works. Same promise for David he's offering to anyone who wants it today. The sure mercies of David. You say as wonderful as that is, and it's wonderful to be forgiven and not going to judgment. You say, but the promise says he would rule forever, and this world's still in a mess, and he's not on the throne, and, and, and things are a mess in this world. As wonderful as that is, uh, uh, he's not ruling, and that was the promise. The seed of David would rule forever. It was the last book in the Bible, huh? Go to Revelation chapter 5 as it continues. Revelation of Jesus Christ chapter 5. The book that shows he's coming back the second time to crush evil and set up the kingdom of God. Paul will remind young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.8, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. It's not over. He was raised from the dead. We get to a book like Revelation... And looking here just for a minute at chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5, and we have a legal scenario in heaven here in chapter 5, and you look at verse 1, chapter 5 and verse 1, and I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. There's a seven-sealed book, a legal document, and what it is, if you open it up, and we're not going to take time to see what happened, is the judgment of the sinners on earth, the purging of all the militaries and the corruption, and the rule for God in righteousness. So if you can open that book, you have a right to judge other people, you have a right to rule for God, you're able to rule righteously for God. And so the book is the issue here, and look at verse 3, and no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book nor look thereon. Nobody that ever lived on earth or dead under the earth, no, the search was made, and not one person has a right to say, I can judge others because I'm perfect myself, and I'm able to rule for God. Does the world stay hopeless like it is today? John cried when nobody was worthy, verse 4. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. 
Will the world stay in this horrible misery forever? No man is able. He has a right to. And one of the elders said, there's a place you forgot to look. Look at verse 5, so to speak. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and in the midst of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. See, he's the lamb of God, the crucified Christ, who's prevailed, who's risen. He's in the middle of God's throne in heaven. <laughs> he's in the middle. That's where kings are. Jesus Christ, the root of David, lives, and he's on the throne of God. And Revelation goes on to say that someday that throne is going to come to earth, that he will come again. And in the language of Revelation 11:15, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. He has a legal right to reign. Other people might have great promises. They have no legality. He's coming again to crush evil, to rule for God, and the seed of David will bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men. If you're saved, you'll be part of that kingdom. In fact, if you're saved as a church, you'll be reigning with him. Is this just fantasy, though? As the Lord Jesus closes his Bible, I take you in closing to chapter 22 of Revelation. All these promises of him coming and judging evil and putting down corruption and giving his saints the kingdom and ruling for God, that's all in this book. As he opens that sealed book, he does that. It's a coming day. God will keep his promise all the way. In case you think it's fantasy, look how he signs off in verse 16. Revelation 22 and verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. And John will say a little later, even so, come, Lord Jesus. I am the root and offspring of David. I'm legal. I'm the promise. God, I will never break my covenant with you. And those that are saved, it says, will reign on the earth with him. Did you ever see a family tree? You see the root way down here, great-great-granddaddy and grandma, and then the little future niece way up at the top, or nephew, and they're one of the branches. Do you ever see somebody who's both the root and the offspring? Somebody said, well, that's great-great-granddaddy, but that's not great-great-granddaddy at the top. But in this case, he's the root and offspring. How can a person be the root, the founder of it all, and yet the offspring? He's the creator of David. He's the Lord of David. But he became a man, so he became the seed of David to get the legal right to the throne. He's the root and offspring, connected with David, the sure mercies of David. Well, end in the rule, the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus. And remember the Lord Jesus said, we were singing it with the children. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, John 3, 3. We must be born again through the one who died for your sins. He rose again so God can give you the sure mercies of David. As we close, as a Christian, may you be encouraged in these promises, as sure as the laws of outer space uh, is what God has promised to David. And you, you have it forever. And if you don't have it, you can come to him. And he will abundantly pardon and make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David, through the seed of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. God who can't lie. May you be encouraged. Let's ask God to bless his word in prayer. Our Father, we are in thy presence in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a God thou art.
In a day of broken promises and lies and deceptions and nuances of words, I will never break my covenant with you. And history has proved in David, and though it was deserved to be broken, mercy never gives the judgment deserved. But that judgment fell on thy son, and he was wounded for our transgressions. This is thy love. Sin was punished, but not on the one who deserved it. On the sinless one, he took it for us. And though he died, you gave him the sure mercies of David and raised him from the dead so he could forgive us and rule forever. Lord, just encourage thy dear people this morning, the church, and these everlasting promises. And for anyone who's still thirsty, they haven't been saved, they can come this morning in their heart, take their place as a sinner, and find in the Lord Jesus, the seed of David, mercy forevermore, and be saved. If they'll just come to him, he'll hear. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, you promise, shall be saved. We just ask for the working of the word in hearts and in the children into Sunday school, that, that thy word will bring forth fruit today as we pray in the name of the one who's able, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.